Join Anthony Esselin, John Warwick Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the Fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, July 17th, 2018. All right, this is starting to feel like normal, finally. for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. and We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and that's the only kind of apostles there are today, the self-appointed kind, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put out there for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, it's general mayhem out there, and we are trying to protect you. And the the idea that sound doctrine is important, that doesn't originate with me. Yet, no, not, not even close. That's actually what God's Word says. I read your New Testament, read your epistles, read Jesus. You know, regarding the last days, he he says, make sure that no one deceives you. And the reason he says that is because the uh, the church and the world uh, immediately before the return of Christ will be proliferated. Plur- <laughs> I got I'm not going to get that word right. <laughs> the, the the world before Jesus returns will be just chock full. There you go. Chock full of uh, false prophets and false teachers and uh, you know people who are deceiving and being deceived. And so Jesus warns us. The apostles warn us. I mean, read Second Peter. Read Jude. Read the pastoral epistles, uh, like Titus. I mean, you can't read these things and sit there and go, sound doctrine doesn't matter. You're just being divisive. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not the one being divisive. If you'd read Jude, you'd find out that it's the false teachers who are the ones being divisive. So 
Anyway, I think you kind of get the point. Let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. This is the closest thing to a normal episode that I've experienced in a while. I'm kind of excited about this because this is our bread and butter kind of program. We're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. We're checking in with Katie Sousa and her message titled, Open Up the Ancient Gate. And I don't know what to do except for tell you ahead of time, just be advised, Katie Sousa clearly is not qualified to be teaching anybody anything regarding God's Word. She is a... uh, con artist who's figured out that uh, it's you can't go to jail for teaching false doctrine you know but and she's been in jail before because she used to cook meth but uh, anyway so we'll be listening to her then we're going to head down to OCI this is Perry Stone's uh, church and uh, and his guest preacher Brian Cutshall and his message titled season of acceleration mm-hmm yeah and by the way, Perry Stone's in the audience while this guy is spewing this nonsense that we're going to hear. I mean, if you thought Perry Stone, this is a solid guy, he's dedicated to reading the Bible and making sure we all... No, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's a reason why we play the update music that we play when we do Perry Stone updates, just saying. And somewhere in there, we're going to have to take a break because I'm going to go a little bit long on both those segments. And then we're going to uh, head down to New Zealand and we're going to listen to John Cameron and talk about a message that misses the point. It's called decision pending. And it's all about the importance of making decisions, you know, because, you know, the Bible, it, it, it teaches you that you need to make decisions. <laughs> I'm making this up. <clears throat> I've done my program prep. I, I heard you listening there in the audience going, no, yes. <laughs> He's really going to preach about the importance of decision making and making good ones, you know. And then hour number two, uh, we're heading to uh, San Jose, California, Echo Church, and uh, Andy Wood in his um, sermon titled "Achieving the Path to Greatness: Warrior Spirit," where he's uh, preaching on the uh, leadership code of Echo Church. So that will be. Today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground we need to cover, so let's get to it. Here we go. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. That's uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So uh, heading over to the uh, 
YouTube channel of Katie Sousa. And by the way, she broadcasts on uh, so-called Christian television. And uh, she is a disciple of Patricia King. And we're going to be listening to a portion of her message titled, Open Up the Ancient Gates. And as soon as she opens up her mouth, it's clear this woman has no clue what it is she's talking about, but she says it confidently. You know, she spews nonsense with such confidence that uh, the average person you know, in the audience would sit there and go, well, I guess what she's saying has got to be true. No, it isn't. Uh, here's Katie Souza to explain to us this in- interesting doctrine regarding the power of God. Here we go. Hi, I'm Katie Souza, and you're watching Healing Your Soul, Real Keys to the Miraculous. Did you know that praying just two scriptures a day can dramatically change your life? You know... (laughs) Whoa! Oh, man, I had no idea. Is this like taking your vitamins and, you know, maybe exercising and watching your carb intake and stuff like that? Just just praying two scriptures a day is going to radically change your life. Uh, This is a weird way of using God's word... And it's not really, by the way, Scripture does teach us to pray the Scriptures back to God. It, this is a most certainly good practice. I mean, pray the Psalms if you if you understand what I'm saying. But notice she's talking about, oh, do these things and you're going to get results. Honestly, we're all looking for something simple, aren't we? Something easy that will bring major results and do it quickly. Is there such a... Yeah, just pray these two scriptures every day and you're going to get major results in your life. And then, of course, results may vary, you know. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Hey, well, you know, the Bible says that the word has the power to save your soul. And God sent his word to heal us. There are certain scriptures... How are you using word there? You know, God sent his word to heal us. He sent Jesus, who is the Word made flesh, to save us, to bleed and die for our sins. What are you talking about? ...that are so oily and filled with so much power that when you get them down inside your spirit by decreeing them over your life every day, then you'll start seeing a breakthrough come into every place you need it. All right, so the scripture, some scriptures are so oily that when you decree them, you're going to get major results. Where does the Bible talk about these oily scriptures? Two problems will cease. Diseases will leave. Relationships will be restored. And your prosperity will increase dramatically. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I need some prosperity increasing. Tell me where these oily scriptures are that I need to decree. Just two of them. A decree over my life on a daily basis so I can get better results in all those ways. So notice here. She's literally describing using the Bible in such a way that it's like magic. Yeah, this is not prayer, by the way. And decreeing and declaring scriptures. I decree and declare Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I decree and declare. You know, that's not actually praying. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we actually are petitioning God. That's what prayer actually means. Nowhere are we taught that prayer equals decreeing. And notice here she's saying, oh, she's figured this out. She's figured out where the really oily texts are. You know, those really, that, you know, the two oily texts that if you just decree those, wow, your prosperity is going to increase. No, she's selling 
stuff here. She's selling herself and she's teaching for shameful gain things that she ought not to teach because the Bible doesn't teach this. You'll have more peace, joy, and happiness than you've ever experienced before. No way. Whenever I teach on the subject I'm going to share with you today, I receive hundreds of communications from people that have applied these simple truths that have had noteworthy miracles take place. Hundreds, hundreds of communications, noteworthy miracles. She, she, I mean, she would never lie on Christian television about these noteworthy communication miracles claims would she what are the names of these people in their lives as a result i've received reports of families being completely restored marriages being saved deadly diseases being destroyed and demonic oh deadly diseases destroyed by decreeing and declaring oily texts oh why haven't we figured this out sooner oppression being completely abolished in fact, I've received so many testimonies of financial miracles that it's downright crazy. Yeah, it's just, it's so many. It's the the numbers are mind blowing, man. Hundreds. <laughs> it's just crazy, man. So many, it's nuts. Yeah. Scriptures, am I talking about? Let's join the conference right now so you can find out, then apply them to your life. Right, so she's uh, speaking at a conference put on by Patricia King, and she's at Patricia King's television studios in uh, the greater Phoenix area. Okay, in this session, we're going to talk more about dunamis. Probably, I hope, everyone in here has heard me talk about dunamis power. Is that true? Oh, boy, here we go. This is a woman who has not studied Greek. She does not know Greek. All she has is Strong's Concordance. She can find a Bible that gives you the Strong's reference, and she can read to you what the definition is in Strong's. But the thing is is that when you come up with a word like dunamis, which has multiple meanings depending upon the context, um, she just is going to take them all. Yeah, it means this, and it means this, and it means this, and it means this. Rather than saying, well, in this context, it might mean this, and in this context, it means that. Uh, you know, she doesn't know Greek, so she's going she's gonna to base this on her extensive knowledge of being able to look something up in Strong's, which is not even close to the same thing as studying Greek, learning the language, and learning how the language works. Dunamis power is amazing. Yeah, that dunamis power is redundant. Yeah, dunamis can mean power, it can mean authority. So calling dunamis dunamis power is like saying power power is really amazing. Yeah, how amazing is power power, Katie? It's resurrection power and it does more than get you saved. It it changes your life, okay? Yeah, no, again, see she's using the word She's created a new category, dunamis power. Oh man, it, 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 it's crazy. It's 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 resurrection. It can change. Your, there is no category in the Bible known as "quote unquote" dunamis power. That that again, she doesn't know Greek. Dunamis can mean power. It can mean authority. And so, what she's saying here just shows her complete ignorance of the actual biblical languages. And we're going to look at it closely because I want you to know exactly what it does. 
But uh, we also wanted what it does. Um, why we? T- <laughs> uh, when did power power, also known as dunamis power, when did it get a mind of its own? Diagnose why this power that every believer has in them might not be manifesting in your life. Oh no, it's not manifesting. What do I do? Okay. There's blocks and things that we're not doing and blocks in our life that are preventing it from flowing. And we're going to... Right. Yes. So we we need to, you know, we we need to soften things up. You know, things are kind of bunched up. And and so, you know, maybe, you know, a little Mylanta or something there, you know, spiritual Mylanta will help, you know, work things out. Move those hindrances today, and we're going to start walking in the power that we all have in us right now. Amen? Uh, I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. What are you talking about? In Romans 1, Paul talks about this power. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, everybody say dunamis, of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Yeah, what's the power of God? Yeah, just do a little sentence diagram here. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation. And the Greek word there is dunamis. But what she, you know, she should be focusing on. Wow, isn't it amazing how cool the gospel is? No, she she's talking about dunamis power because she has no clue how to rightly handle a biblical text, which for the most part mostly involves just paying attention to good grammar, you know? Okay, so here Paul is talking about a power that brings us unto our salvation. He's talking about the gospel it's the power of dunamis. Is that- no, it's not the power of dunamis. <sighs> the gospel is the power of God. Uh-huh. It's not the power of dunamis. It's not the power of power. You don't know what you're talking about, lady. The resurrection power, because Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know him in the power. Everybody say dunamis. Uh, oh, so, yeah, and I want to know him and the power. Uh-huh. Now we've switched verses out of context, and so she's proof-texting at this point her uh, self-made doctrine of dunamis power. His resurrection. So, see, dunamis power is resurrection power. But the prop- uh, No. No. This woman is not an exegete. No, it doesn't work that way, lady. Name for it is actually dunamis resurrection power. Okay, so we- no, it's not called dunamis resurrection power. <laughs> she is literally making stuff up, and there are ladies in the audience taking notes, which is really sad and tragic if you think about it. We got to start calling it by what it really is. And Paul here in the scripture in Romans one is talking about how this power brings us unto salvation. He's talking about the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. When you ask Jesus to come into your life, Dunamis power came inside of you and What? 
resurrected, because it's resurrection power, resurrected your dead spirit man unto eternal life. Now, she's describing regeneration. Yeah, even a blind squirrel can find a nut every now and then. But what she's doing regarding dunamis ain't what the Bible teach. That's how you got born again. Okay, that's how you received eternal life through dunamis resurrection power entering into your spirit, man. So right now you're (laughs) through dunamis resurrection power entering into your spirit, man. Yeah, I don't think this woman could exegete her way out of a paper bag if you gave her a flashlight and some boxing gloves to figure it out. You know, man is full of dunamis when Holy Spirit comes into you when you're born again. He brought with him dunamis resurrection power. Amen. No, I'm not going to say amen because you are just winging it here. And anybody who knows Greek or knows how to exegete can see right through this flim-flam. Now, what's so cool about this power that we all have is that it not only got you saved, it does a lot more. If you go and look in your Strong's Concordance and you look up the meaning of dunamis, it means a couple different things. I'm I'm not going to give you the comprehensive list. But here's three of them. All right, so now now this is what we call the error of illegitimate totality transfer, okay, where you take every dictionary definition of a word and pour it into the the instance of the word regardless of context when it appears. Again, let me kind of give you an example. The word up, all right? If I were to say, my child threw up, okay, we understand there that the word up is used in conjunction with through and that that's, you know, that's describing the act of vomiting, right? We understand that. Now, if I said I walked up the stairs, oh, okay. So then we, that we understand that up in that meaning is a direction that somebody is heading. And notice that vomiting and heading in the direction of up, uh, that, that those are two very different definitions. So how do we know what the word means when it shows up? Answer the context will tell you which definition is correct. So no word means all of its definitions every time it appears. The context is going to tell you how you are to understand it, you know, what the definition is uh, for that word when it appears. But she's just going to give us all the definitions. Here we go. The power and influence that comes with riches and wealth. Did you hear that? That means inside of you right now, you have a tank full of dunamis power that it gives you the power and influence that comes with riches and wealth. Wow. Okay, dunamis also means, according to the Strongs, the power to perform miracles. Meaning inside you right now, you're a tank full of miracle-working power. No. Okay, so the power and the influence that comes with wealth, one... I'd like to see that definition, by the way, but okay. We'll just say, okay, she grabbed that from Strong's. All right. So somebody, they they have wealth. That means they have power, and they can do things with that wealth that, because that wealth gives them power. Sure. Okay. So it means it in, in that's what it's talking about in this context. And then she uses another context, another definition. And so basically she's just gathering up all the definitions and see, see dunamis means uh, the power and authority that comes with wealth. So you have the power and authority to have wealth, you see? And it means, it means the power to, to work miracles. So there you go. You can work miracles too because you have dunamis. No, this woman is basically engaging in a scam. Just because dunamis 
in several passages of Scripture is describing the power to be able to perform miracles doesn't mean that because you were raised from the grave by the power of God through the gospel that now you have the authority, the power to work miracles. It doesn't work that way. Be able to wipe out any disease, any pain, any any disorder, any issue that you have in your life because of this power that you have. Okay? Dunus also means excellence of soul. And if you know that's one of our main messages... That, that scripture in 3 John, well, it's one of my favorite. I pray you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Yeah, 3 John 1, 2, that, you know, that, that sentence right there is part of the opening of the letter. It's just look, take a look at it in context. And it's not saying that your soul's going to prosper. That's not it at all. It's just like a standard way of saying, you know, I, I hope this letter finds you well, you know, and that uh, and that your wife, Bertha, is uh, is doing fantastic and that the job is OK and that your boss is happy with you and that and the kids are well behaved. I mean, when you when you express those types of thoughts to somebody uh, in a letter, I mean, that's part of a standard opening. And so she's turning that into, a, oh, yeah, see, God wants your soul to prosper again. This is not how God's word works. The way that happens, the way our soul prospers, is through the dunamis God's given us. Because dunamis means excellent of soul. And when you become excellent of soul, wow, you prosper in your finances, you prosper in your health, because that's what that scripture says. No, it's not. That's what you twisted it to make it say. (laughs) I don't know if I can get through this without, like, losing my mind. We're only five minutes into this program of hers, and I, you know... I find myself literally correcting her every step along the way because literally every step along the way, what she is saying is not true. It is not biblical. If you know anybody that thinks that Katie Sousa is a woman of God who teaches the truth of the Bible, you need to warn them and maybe send them this episode of Fighting for the Faith so that they can be set free from this woman's sophistry. And uh, because she ain't teaching the truth, she's teaching nonsense. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading over to OCI and listen to Brian Cutshaw preach at Perry Stone's church as well as John Cameron on decision-making. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents. Guess what, everyone? I'm back. <laughs> 
<laughs> Rex Guando here, and now we're going to have a revised intro brought to you by your very own Rex Guando. Ding! All right, people, listen up. It's time for your training to begin. Um, Mr. Kwando, sir? Please refrain from asking any questions until the instruction is concluded. <clears throat> Today's lessons include two separate training courses. The first being how to walk on water. And the second, how to walk through walls. This curriculum is from Bethel Church, so it was obviously very expensive. Hence the $400 surcharge. I mean seed offering. <laughs> that all nine of you so generously provided. Uh, the brochure I received said something about breaking both my legs if I didn't pay. That must have been a minor clerical error. Anyway, if all of you would kindly follow me, we can begin the first lesson. Gentlemen, what you see before you is an Olympic-sized pool that will provide the perfect training ground for your first lesson. I absolutely forbid any recording of these lessons for copyright reasons. <laughs> we also can't have this highly sensitive information falling into the wrong hands, understand? First things first, in order to successfully walk across the pool, you must build up your faith inside yourself and believe just Hard enough. Can you give us a demonstration? What did I tell you about questions? I can't show you today because I did it for a class yesterday. It's kind of a once-a-week type of deal. You, you can't overuse things like this. For the purposes of today's lesson, I've added a little extra motivation. <laughs> if you look very carefully across the pool, you will see a tank filled with piranhas. With a simple pull of this cord... The piranhas have now been released into the pool. For our first victim, I mean volunteer, I choose Motormouth over there to be our first demonstrator. Oh, jeez. Now, just step up to the edge. That's it. Now, build up your faith inside yourself and believe. Believe. Do you feel like you're believing enough? I uh, think so. Good. Now go. See, you weren't believing hard enough. Believe harder. Harder! Ugh, you're hopeless. Okay, who's next? Approximately two hours later. Okay, you lot are clearly not getting the hang of it. Time to move on to lesson two. Why does it smell so terrible in here? Okay, boys, welcome to lesson number two. Walking through walls. Your task is to build up enough faith within yourself. Run directly at the wall in front of you and pass through to give you the proper motivation. I've made things slightly more interesting by locking you all inside of that trash compactor. Trash compactor? I have complete faith in you, men. Good luck. <laughs> Such potential. 
Oh, wow, is that the time? I'm almost late for my next class. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck. Because we now, at Pirate Christian Media, have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Listening to Fighting for the Faith might cause you to think that talking about dunamis power is not exactly a right way of describing what the Bible teaches. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron uh, via Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And if you would like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button, or you can support us the traditional way by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along, uh, since Brian Cutshall is preaching at Perry Stone's church, let's do this.
I'm a nut, I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is sore loose. I ain't got sense, God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south? And it is in the summer. All right, if you have a prophecy bingo card, uh, that might actually work in this uh, message that we're going to be listening to. Uh, this is Brian Cutshaw, and again, he's preaching at OCI, which is the uh, the church where Perry Stone is the uh, vision-casting leader. Let's listen in to his message titled, Season of Acceleration. Here we go. I want to ask you a question before I bring the word tonight. I was sitting there uh, Saturday night. I'd just flown in from a camp meeting, and I literally had flown all night long just to be here, and... I was sitting there, and I was tired, but I was listening to uh, Perry bring the word on Saturday night. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, the next time you speak in this house, you're going to speak on this. And I Now, this is a manipulation technique. Yeah, it, it straight up is. This is, I, this is a technique designed to basically discombobulate people. And what I mean by it is you sit there. If you're not familiar with this, you're going to go, God speaks to this fellow. So if God speaks to this person audibly the way he's describing, then, you know, I can't criticize this guy. In fact, this message, well, I mean, this is exactly what God wanted me to hear. So, I mean, I, I, if to question this guy is to, well, question God. And see, that's the whole point. This is a breaking of that commandment that says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This guy is doing that in order to basically make it appear that what he's about to preach, what he's about to teach, oh, this comes from the very heart of God himself. No, it does not. Well, you know, I'm, I'm scheduled a little bit later on in the summer, and I thought maybe that, that was what he was talking about. Because honestly, this was nowhere on my radar. This word was nowhere on my radar. It's something that I I'd, I'd, had worked worked on years and years ago, but nothing that I ever thought about preaching here or, or anywhere for that matter. And um, And then whenever I got the call this morning... I thought, what am I going to preach? And the Lord said, I already told you. I already gave you the word. Yeah, since he's never preached this anywhere before. that See, that's, that's even more proof that this has got to be from God. Because God, you know, we all know that God would only have you preach something that you've never preached before. Yeah, right. Yeah, the job of a pastor is to preach the word, the actual written Bible. And have you ever had that word dropped in you in about two seconds and it was one of those things that you just had it in there? You didn't have to go look up anything. It was just all there. Well, this is a... Oh, yeah. This, this, I mean, this is a direct drop-in download from heaven. Yeah. Yeah. I, my, my my downloader must not be working. I, you know, I, I, the modem that I have is pretty antiquated. That Maybe that's the reason why I don't get any of these drop-in downloads directly from God. Word, but that's how it came. And so I just... 
created the keynote, sent it to Jonathan, and then he does magic with it. Well, you might not like the word magic, but he makes it really look better than I did. So I just create, I just pulled some graphics together, pulled my scriptures together, sent it to Jonathan, and then he's got them on the screen tonight. So I want to ask a question before I pull up the title slide. How many of you are waiting on God to do something in your life right now? How many of you know that there's a prophecy hanging over your head that has not been fulfilled? I want to... um, if it's a true prophecy, <laughs> uh, yeah. See, now th- th- we got to talk about this. This is a major problem within the charismatic and the NAR, as well as Pentecostal churches that believe in living apostles and prophets, is that these people literally spew prophecies, you know, uh, the way toddlers just, you know, spew gibberish words. And there's so many of these prophecies. Oh, I feel that the Lord is calling you to, and it's always something really important. You're going to be an evangelist to the nations. You're going to change the world. You're going to, and they give all these prophecies, right? And uh, wouldn't you know it, since those people are actually false prophets, they are. That's what they are. They're false prophets. Um, These words don't ever come true. And so you got a whole bunch of people in the charismatic movement who are going, you know, I don't know what's going wrong here, you know, but five years ago, prophet so-and-so or apostle such-and-such prophesied that uh, I was going to be an evangelist to the nations. And here I am still cleaning up the streets of uh, Savannah, Georgia. And, and so, uh, you know, and, and so there, now we got a problem. We got all these unfulfilled prophecies that have been spoken into the atmosphere. And, uh, and, and so, what do you do? So this is a message designed to kind of shore up the flagging faith that people are having where they're sitting there going, you know, I'm beginning to think that person's a false prophet because, you know, this, this word didn't come true. So so he's describing a common problem in the NAR and the charismatic uh, churches and um, it, it, all of these unfulfilled prophecies. Yeah, but God's had this word spoken over me and it still hasn't come to pass yet, so I'm still waiting on him to... Make me an evangelist to the nations and, you know, things like that. But, uh, well, again, the problem here is that the people speaking this stuff, they were false prophets. But that's not an option for people like uh, Brian Cutshall or Perry Stone. So we need messages like this to kind of shore up some things, you know. Ask how many of you have prayers that you have prayed that have not been answered yet, but you're believing they will. How many of you have loved ones that you've been praying to come to salvation? Now, that's the secondary issue, okay? By the way. God doesn't always say yes to our prayers. Uh-huh. So you got prophecies that aren't fulfilled, and now you got prayers where God's saying, Nope. My answer is no. And what do you do? The answer is learn to live with God's answer. Sometimes God says no to prayer. Sometimes he says yes. So consider that. But they're not saved yet. But you still believe in that they will. How many of you have financial breakthroughs that you've been believing for, but it hasn't come yet? But you believe that it will. How many of you are looking for gifts of the Spirit to operate in your life, and you've been praying for them, but it hasn't happened yet? Anybody in a waiting room tonight? Anybody in a waiting room? Well, that's who I've come. You are my assignment tonight, and I want to speak on the season of acceleration. Turn to somebody and say, we're going to talk about the season of acceleration. Uh-huh. And by the way, this is, the, this is one of the standard Pentecostal manipulations at this point. So you're in the waiting room. Prophecy hasn't been fulfilled. A prayer hasn't been answered. You're, you're waiting for a financial breakthrough. I mean, 
pretty much anybody in any audience is going to you know, be able to answer yes to any one of these fishy kind of questions that he's thrown out there. And so, you know, so the answer is, oh, God has told me that there's a season of acceleration coming up. I, we've been in a season of deceleration and, 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 and your miracle's been stuck in traffic. But don't worry. Don't worry. The, the, the traffic's about to break up and, 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 and God's going to be able to put the pedal to the metal and accelerate your breakthroughs and your blessings and fulfill prophecies and stuff. And so Brian Cutshaw said, ah, this is the message God gave me. Uh-huh. No, God did not give this to you. This is straight-up charismatic manipulation. The season of acceleration. The book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 25, there's a passage of Scripture that I think is quite unique. It says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until time and a time and the dividing of time. Now, we understand... Now, this is straight up, I mean, an egregious uh, twisting of God's Word. He's quoting Daniel 7.25, and what are our three rules for sound biblical exegesis? They are context... Context and, yes, context. Yeah, it's really not much harder than that most of the time, at least nowadays. And so Daniel chapter 7, interesting passage, by the way. Um, but you know, let's take a look at what's going on in this. And um, I'll start at verse 13 because I mean, this is a fascinating prophecy. This is an eschatological prophecy that we're, that we're reading here and here's what it says Daniel 7:13 I saw in the night visions behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him this is a beautiful picture by the way of Christ Jesus the uh, the son of man and the ancient of days being the father himself so God the father and God the son and he was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom by the way this is a picture of what happened, past tense for us, and uh, future tense for Daniel, but what happened when Christ ascended. Uh, so there is Jesus on the Mount of Olives. You know, it's, it's the back half of the Gospel of Luke. It's the beginning of the book of Acts. And there Jesus on the Mount of Olives, he ascends up into heaven. Now, funny enough, Daniel 7.13 picks up where where Acts leaves off. So if you put this chronological order, now we're seeing what happens. Jesus himself, the Son of Man, conquered, victori conquering victorious uh, over the grave, sin, death, and the devil, all of that, now comes in to you know, take dominion and have authority over all of the nations. So, you know, so there came like a Son of Man. He was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and all the peoples and nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So this tells us what happens when Jesus ascends, right? So as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. And the visions of my head, they alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there, and I asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. So we're picking up at the tail end of this prophecy, this vision that Daniel had. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. 
So then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from the rest, all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth, its iron claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other thor- horn that came up and uh, before the three uh, before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came, and the judgment was given for the mo- saints of the most high, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom, thus he said, as for the fourth beast. There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all of the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, uh-huh, and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. So this is a picture of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, who will... literally have dominion over a government that has taken over the whole world. At least that's the way Daniel's describing it. And he's describing the time of 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 the great tribulation right before the return of Christ. This is a good way to kind of talk in these terms. And so in verse 25, in that great persecution, this fourth beast, this man of lawlessness, will wear out the saints. Uh huh. By the way, this isn't talking about wearing us out because we've got unfulfilled prophecies in our life and I feel like unanswered prayers or I, I need a season of acceleration. No, 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 no. And, you know, so what Brian Cutshaw is doing with this text is criminal. Absolutely criminal. This is criminal pastoral malpractice that we're hearing on his part. Then this is in reference to the Antichrist. But how many of you know the spirit of the Antichrist is already here? Jesus even identified that. The spirit of the Antichrist, the New Testament talks about the spirit of Antichrist is all around us. And the purpose is to wear out the saints to change the times and seasons. There's no, no. And this, to wear out the saints and change the times and seasons. So that's the reason why you haven't had your breakthrough yet. Again, criminal pastoral malpractice going on here. And the fact that Perry Stone's in the audience listening to this nonsense and saying amen to it shows that this man is a charlatan as well. Some of you that think you're never going to come into your season because that time has passed. There's some of you so tired now that if you came into your season, you wouldn't care. Because it's like, Lord, you're going to have to rejuvenate me to bring me into my season. There's some of you who've been waiting on ministry to happen in your life for a long time. And you're wearing yourself out. Some of you have been praying and travailing so long for answers to come. And you, I, I heard, I heard Braden say it tonight. And I thought when he said that it was, it was prophetic because he didn't know what I'm going to preach, but he said it tonight. He said, how many of you have almost given up on what you've been praying about? 
Some of you have been waiting on something for so long that now doubt is sinking in. And you're- yeah, how come no is not a possible answer from God regarding your petitions and requests that you make in your prayers? Hmm? Ask yourself the question, is it even possible for this to happen? Has too much time gone by? I know people that have been walking by faith for years waiting on God to do something. And they see everybody around them getting their blessing and they think, Lord, why not me? Why is this happening to them and why is it passing me by? So the spirit of the Antichrist wants to wear out the saints to change the times and the seasons. No. It's just so unbelievable. I mean, and it's patently false. And it doesn't take a biblical scholar to see that this man is twisting Daniel 7.25. All it takes is a willingness to engage in basic fact-checking. And upon doing the basic fact-checking of looking at the context, is this what this passage means? Is this what it says? One can identify a false teacher so easily today. And yet, OCI is a mega church. It is ginormous. How is it that you can have an entire room full of thousands? And don't forget their thousands of viewers and things like this. We're talking tens of thousands of people that not a single one of them is willing to open up a Bible and just say, is that what this text says? And that what is that what this text means? If they were just willing to do that, then they would see for themselves that, that the person speaking to them is a wolf rather than a shepherd. I think you get the idea. Moving along. Time for a vision casting leader update. When I'm casting vision 
That's right. Los Lobos Ministry Records and uh, their version of Casting Vision. So uh, we're heading down south to to New Zealand, and we're going to be listening to a message by John Cameron titled Decision Pending. And this (laughs) message is a mess. And the reason it is a mess is because it's basically trying to convince us, at least John Cameron is in this message, trying to convince us that it's an important thing that we learn as Christians how to make good decisions. Now, I'm not opposed to making good decisions. It's just that the passages that he's teaching from, it's not about generic, abstract decision-making. There are particular decisions that are being referred to in the decision-making passages that John Cameron has decided to teach about and teach on. But it's a mess. It's the best way to put it. So without any further ado, let's head down to Arise Church in New Zealand and listen to John Cameron as he teaches us about decision-making. Here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. When I revised my itinerary, was I vacillating? Or do I make my plans with unprincipled motives, ready to flip-flop with a yes and a no in the same breath? Uh, no, you're saying, what translation is that? Um, that's the passion translation. Mm-hmm. Which means we need to think about Arise Church down there in New Zealand as being part of the New Apostolic Reformation, the NAR. Mm-hmm. And uh, any pastor who preaches from the Passion Translation, as far as I'm concerned, is disqualified from being a pastor. It's that, it's that egregious. This is not a translation. That thing is a hot mess. In fact, the Jehovah's Witnesses New World Translation is more accurate than the Passion Translation. And that's saying something here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, talking about Paul's talking about yes and no here. Of course not. For as God is true to his word, my promise to you was not a fickle yes when I meant no. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he is the one whom Timothy, Silas, and I have preached to you. And he has never been both a yes and a no. He has always been and always will be for us a resounding yes. For all of God's promises find their yes of fulfillment and him. And and his, as his yes and our amen ascend to God, we bring him glory. This is an awesome passage because the Apostle Paul is talking to us about a time in his life when he had to make some decisions. And he says, when I... (laughs) This is not about some weird, abstract decision-making thing. And so we need to learn the importance of making decisions. I told you, this is just weird. Okay, so uh, we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, and we'll have to apply this a couple of times in this segment. 2 Corinthians 1, 12. I'll start there so that you can see what's going on. Uh, and I'm going to be reading out from the ESV, which is a good English translation. It's not the only good English translation out there. It just happens to be one of the good English translations, and it is a legit translation. And here's what it says. Uh, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. 
For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Now, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, say, flesh ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Well, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no for the Son of God, uh, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, uh, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay? So having read that out, this is not about some weird process, abstract process of being ready to make decisions. That's not what's going on here at all. Made these decisions, was I vacillating? Did I have unprincipled motives? Was I flip-flopping? Was I yes one moment and no the next moment? He said, no, I made a clear decision. And then he goes on and he's basically saying, I made it a clear decision. Then he says, God makes a clear decision. When God says yes, it's a yes. When God says no, it's a no. God is decisive. I was decisive. He said, <sighs> no, that's not exactly the point. Hey team, we need to be decisive. Now in our lives... In- so we need to be decisive. So Paul was decisive. So we, we need to be decisive too. It's, it's important. Have you, have you practiced the spiritual discipline of decisiveness? That's not what this is about. We're struggling like never before to make decisions. I love that video every time I see it, that wheel of death. I hate it when it's on my computer. I hate it more when it's in my mind and I'm trying to decide. Come on, who's with me today? It's like, I cannot decide. I don't know what to decide. I have walked those supermarket aisles going, I have no idea. And it is a challenge in our our culture to make decisions. And if you have just joined us today, your first time here for this series, I'd love you to check out um, the previous podcast. The challenge of our culture to make decisions. What? Is this a sin that people need to repent of? Or or YouTube, go go to YouTube, go to our podcast and check out my message from last time because I want to move into new content today. But our decisions are incredibly key to us in our lives and our decisions are going to define our lives. It is decisions that decide destinies. It's not where you came from. It's not what you had in the bank account when you grew up as a child. It is the decisions that we make. We might all have different start points, but we can all have a tremendous end point. And it's all up to the decisions that we make. We win or we lose by the way we choose. We win. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe the reason why human beings make really bad decisions 
is because they are sinners. Uh huh. And their sin nature and its sinful passions drive people and tempt people to make bad decisions. Or we lose by the way we choose. So today, I want to close out the series and give you a bit more of a teaching message. So I hope you're ready for it. But I want to talk to you about five crucial things or five big things that we need to consider as we're making great decisions. Are you ready for that? I, 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 this is the first time I've ever heard a sermon that claims to be biblical talking about the importance of you know here's how you make good decisions but he wish you hadn't come to church you just like to keep making bad decisions all right well let's talk about it number one make a few big decisions that lead to a lot of easy little decisions all right so step number one make a few big decisions that will lead to a lot of easy little ones which biblical text lays out step number one If we want to make great decisions, then we're going to, in our lives, make some big decisions. We're not going to just pity-patty around the edges making a lot of small decisions. But we're going to make some big deciding decisions that are going to make way for a lot of easy decisions. There are some decisions, guys, that when we make them, they make a whole lot of other decisions easier because we've made them. And what we, what we do in, in making us uh, make bad decisions, we overwhelm ourselves when we leave. To- Am I more like Jesus if I uh, follow the good decision-making process that you're describing here? Too many decisions on the table. We end up with too many options, too many decisions, and so then we end up making bad decisions. So what we're going to do is we're going to start by making some big decisions that are going to make a lot of other decisions easier for us. If we're not careful, we just make too many, we leave room for too many decisions. We're like, well, listen, you know, Am I going to go out with that person? Am am I committed to this relationship for life or just for a while? Will I watch that? Which biblical text again teaches this idea about big decisions that make little decisions easier? On television, will I get drunk this Friday? Should I eat good food or bad food? What should I prioritize with my time? Where do I stand on this moral issue? We leave a whole lot of things on the table. And as a culture, we're also a culture now in our time that really doesn't champion people who make big decisions. It's kind of seen as weird to make a big decision. I mean, what are you talking about? People make big decisions all the time. I would argue that deciding to get married, it's a big decision. You know, to buy a house, big decision. Decision to have children, big decision. Um, the last time I checked, people are making big decisions all the time. What, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, that's kind of weird. It's weird if you make big decisions. <laughs> Did you do your homework for this sermon, or are you just making stuff up? Just about anybody who decides to follow Jesus today, no matter what church they're in, somebody's going to tell them, are you in a cult? Because to make a big decision is seen as a radical thing. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get married. And if you're under the age of 35, then someone's going to tell you because you wanted to get married. Are you really sure you want to commit to something so young? 
So because we are a decision adverse culture, the likelihood is that we're going to leave a lot of stuff on the table thinking that if we have many options, our lives are going to be better. No, 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 no. I want to counsel you to think the opposite and to think about what the Bible says and make a few big decisions that are going to make a whole lot of other... Hope you're sitting down because we're going to hear another one of these verses that supposedly teaches this topic or concept. Decisions easier. Let's talk about what the Bible says in Joshua 24, 15. It says, choose this day whom you will serve. Make a big decision and make it today. First Kings 18, 21. Yeah, Joshua 24, 15 is the decision regarding following and worshiping the one true God or idolatry. Those are the two options on the table there. And what you just said is nonsense. It's utter nonsense. So it's just I, unbelievable uh, that uh, that this guy's getting away with this because Joshua twenty four fifteen has nothing to do with what it is that he just said. So I, this is just nuts. How long will you falter between two options? How long are you going to leave two things on the table? Yeah, 1 Kings 18.21, that's Elijah talking to the people of Israel uh, during the showdown between himself and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Again, this is a decision regarding worshiping the one true God or serving man-made idols. This is not about generic decision-making. Make a big decision. Listen, team, if I procrastinate the big decision, I create a lot of small, difficult decisions. But when I make a big decision, I create also a lot of easy, small decisions. Yeah, I'm going to make a big decision right here. And I've decided that you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how to rightly handle a biblical text. And you've just proof text and ripped these verses out of context and twisted God's word. So I've made the big decision that uh, we're going to go to our second break. (laughs) Just done with you, I mean, but I mean, seriously, talk about an adventure in missing the entire point. It, that's exactly what John Cameron did, and the doctrine he's teaching, it, it, and the problem he's solving is not even a doctrine or a problem that the Bible really teaches. This is more akin to self-help than anything, and um, it, it's just very, very tragic. Uh, that uh, the people there are sitting there going amen to this when all they got to do, again, is open up their Bible. And uh, in opening it up, they would recognize by just looking at the context, this guy's not teaching me what this text actually says or means. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Andy Wood about achieving the path to greatness and having a warrior spirit. Stay tuned. I want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death 
of a salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Reformanda and join the fight for the faith today. Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Let's do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service we're heading over to echo church in uh, south bay california and uh, listening to andy wood and the sermon achieving the path to greatness 
the warrior spirit. And uh, we're listening to the actual video opening of this message, which is him literally expounding on their so-called leadership code. Yeah, I remember the days before churches had leadership codes. In fact, the church pretty much made it 2,000 years without individual leadership codes. But now it's a it's a thing. So we'll listen to Andy Wood explaining how we can achieve greatness and stuff. Because apparently just preaching the Bible, <laughs> who wants to do that? <clears throat> so... Grab a beverage. Doesn't matter if it's an adult one. We're fine with that. Go ahead and get your fuzzy bunny slippers and uh, let's get to it. Here's Andy Wood in Achieving the Path to Greatness, the uh, warrior spirit. Here we go. We are building a culture of leaders, not just people who call themselves Christians, but men and women who will rise up to be the change agents in our society? Uh, they're they're leading. Yeah, they're not. They just they don't want just Christians there at Echo Church. No, they need leaders who are going to rise up and change, be change agents and stuff. What's wrong with like being a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife or a good employer or a good employee? Why do we need to be change agents? The Bible doesn't tell us we need to do that. People who believe that there is way too much at stake just to passively let life go by. Our leadership will be defined by these four guiding principles. We will be leaders who are tenaciously teachable. We will be the kind of... Tenaciously teachable. Yeah, you got to love the adverbs here, man. Their, their leadership code has just got great adverbs. Yeah. Leaders who are marked with contagious joy. We will be defined as servant leaders. And deep inside of every one of us, you will find a warrior spirit. We believe. Right. You see, it, you know, do you attend a church where the, the leaders there don't have a warrior spirit and aren't, aren't tenaciously teachable? Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you just go to an ordinary church, right? You know, where the pastor, you know, preaches the word and stuff. It's time to trade in your ordinary church for the extraordinary, super-de-duper, special uh, echo church type where their leaders are tenaciously teachable, servant leaders who have warrior spirits. Yeah, they're, yeah they're warriors. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Leaders shape environments instead of being shaped by them. We're the kind of people who set the pace. We blaze the trail. And as- yeah, we, 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 we. Who's he preaching about? He's not preaching about Jesus. He's preaching about them. Yeah, that's weird. The church, we're committed to raising up men and women who will lead and love just like Jesus. Yeah, lead and love. How about preach Jesus? I mean, have you ever thought of like, you know, people who actually proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins like Jesus said to do? Isn't our church special? We glow in the dark because, you know, we have warrior spirit leaders. Yeah. Well, welcome, everybody. So glad you're with us. Welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, those of you at South San Jose and Sunnyvale and, of course, some crazy folks at North San Jose. Glad all of our campuses together. Can we make some noise for people joining us all across Silicon Valley 
We talk often. We are one church in multiple locations. We have a vision to reach the entire Bay Area. And really, it's awesome to think about how there are hundreds and thousands of people spread across the valley. God's doing amazing work. We've been in a four-part series talking about the subject of leadership. Really, at the beginning of the series, what we said was leadership is ultimately influence. It's your ability to influence the people around you. So if you are a mom, you're a leader. If you're a dad, you're a leader. If you're a student on a team at school, you're a leader. If you're a business owner, you are also a leader. But if you are a custodian, you can also be a leader as well at your place of work. And there's this vision that God wants to really build into us. And that vision is to lead like Jesus and to love like him. So we've been going through. Yeah, where in Scripture does it tell us that God's vision is for us to lead like Jesus? Can you give me a text that says that? For leadership values, it's been an awesome series for us as a church. Before we get to our last value, I want to talk very briefly about next week, which is Father's Day. Father's Day is going to be an amazing celebration for us. We noticed a couple years ago, Mother's Day was the highest attendance of the year, or one of the highest attendance. Father's Day was one of the lowest attendance of the year. So we said, hey, that's not okay for us. We have a vision to reach men to make a difference in the lives of husbands and fathers. Yeah, they have a vision there, yeah. You know, and you know, if your church doesn't have one of these, I mean, you are so not in tune with what God really wants to do and stuff. You know, reach a man, you can change a family. So we're doing everything we can to have an awesome experience next week. We're giving away free. What's an experience? Where in Scripture are we told to create experiences? Man crates, we're going to have competitions. If you want a man crate, one's going to be given away in every service. So attend a lower attended service on your campus if you want to increase the odds of that. And uh, we want to encourage you most of all, if there's somebody in your life that you know who's never encountered the love of Jesus, next week will be a great message to get them here. We believe that we work together as a church, you and us as a staff, our leaders here, we work together to share Jesus's love. And maybe some of you, it's hard for you to preach the message of Jesus to your friends, but you can love them and you can invite them to church. And simply one invitation could be the change in somebody else's story. So you got some cards on your seats or near your seats at all of our campuses. And we want to encourage you to take those cards. Bring somebody to come back with you next week for Father's Day. Can I get a good amen on that one? All right. Now, today, as we talk about the value of warrior spirit, I thought it was like God's will, maybe, that it worked out that the Warriors won the championship this weekend. Warrior spirit. Um, and yeah, see, there you go. That's, that's called the reading of omens. There, yeah. So I, I remember vividly for me when this value or this mindset became a part of my journey. I was like 10 years old. And so we got a personal testimony now of when, he, um, when this value of the warrior spirit somehow became part of his personal walk. Yeah, this proves it's true, by the way, because uh, as long as it's part of your experience, it's got to be true. Played for the Livonia Junior Football League. We were the Livonia Orioles. We were horrible, y'all. I mean, we were like 0-20 for two years straight. We lost every game. I mean, it was just really bad. And I remember we were worse than like the Cleveland Browns. That's how bad we were. And I remember wanting to quit. But the reason I wanted to quit was not just because of how bad we were. It's because I had a bad coach, too. He was really mean, verbally abusive, you know, and just 
on top of that, he'd never let me in the game. I played like two or three plays a game. And it was probably good that I'd never played because I was horrible as well. I was off sides all the time. It just really, really was bad. And so I went to my dad one day and I was like, Dad, I hate football. I want to quit. I'm done with this thing. And my dad looked at me. He's like, Andy, we don't quit. Even when it's hard, we keep persevering. So if you want to stop at the end of the year when it's done, you can and not play again. But you made a commitment. You're going to keep that commitment. And I'm glad my dad made me finish because I still played football and I got a lot of concussions and banged up head. Maybe that's why I'm crazy today at 36 years old. But I remember that experience vividly because there was something that was formed through that pushing to not quit. And I think most of us, we've probably had an experience in our lives like that where we wanted to give up and we persevered. And something formed inside of us in that perseverance. There was a tenacity. There was a strength that was gained when you wanted to quit, but you continued forward. That's what warrior spirit is. We define warrior spirit as passion plus perseverance. It's the passion to persevere when it's difficult. It's the sense in which there's a calling inside of you that grips. Now, you, you could, by the way, I can think of a biblical text. In fact, it would shock me if you didn't go to it that talks about how suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. You know, there's a text in Scripture that talks this way. But here's the thing. Notice he didn't begin with a biblical text. He has defined what a warrior spirit is, although nowhere in Scripture does it talk about having a warrior spirit. So warrior spirit is defined by him, and what it is and what is isn't is defined by him. If this was something that God wanted us to have, it would be defined by God and clearly taught in Scripture. So he's defined it in such a way now that he's opened the door that he can go and snatch that text that says, you know, that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and he can shoehorn it into his man-made definition of warrior spirit, which is nowhere taught in Scripture. And so notice, this is all backwards. Pastors are called by God to preach the Word, not invent their own definitions, their own ideas, or things like that. And they are called to preach the Word, which requires them to exegete. God's Word has to be front, center, and it's got to be clear, and people need to know which text they're working through, and they can all follow along. He's not doing that. He's making up his own doctrine, his own ideas, and he's going to make the Bible support his ideas. Life that won't let go of you. It's a vision to become a great dad. It's a, it's a vision to become a phenomenal student that applies yourself to what you do. It's a, it's a vision to be a great business owner that just grips you. A vision to be a, a great tech employee that grabs a hold of you and calls you forward. But then it's that perseverance. It's the, the sense in which even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, when I want to quit, I don't give up. I just keep pushing. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 talks about this warrior spirit. No, it doesn't. Proverbs 24, 16 does not talk about a warrior spirit. Again, Andy Wood has defined what a warrior spirit is, not the Bible. So Proverbs does not talk about this. It says, though the godly may trip seven times, that means that they get knocked down and they get up. 
Though they may trip seven times, they will get up one more time. They'll get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. I wonder for you. Okay, n- notice this isn't a warrior spirit here that's being described in uh, Proverbs twenty four sixteen. What's being described is the difference between the righteous or the godly versus the wicked and the evil. That's the defining thing. Not whether or not you have a warrior spirit or not, but whether or not you are godly or wicked. That's the categories that Proverbs 24 is working in. Not whether or not you have a warrior spirit or not. So now he's taken Proverbs 24, 16 and shoved this in to his man-made doctrine of the warrior spirit. Today, which of those two describes your life more? If you're more like the wicked that gets knocked down one time and you just stay down, or you're like the godly that keeps getting knocked down and gets back in the ring. And I believe... No, no, no. Notice he said, are you like the wicked or you like the godly? Proverbs 24, 16 is not whether or not you are like this or like that. It's whether you are or you're not. And godliness in righteousness, it comes by grace through faith and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. So this guy is slick, but the, the, the little nuances that he's throwing in here show that this is 100% backwards, and he's manipulating the biblical texts in order to support his doctrine rather than teaching biblical doctrines. Hey, that there are some of you that you are down. And maybe it's like the third or fourth or fifth time that you got knocked down and God sent me here today to tell you to get back in the ring. That there's more in you. There's more that God wants to cultivate in your character. There's more that God wants to do through you. Yeah, you sure God told you to tell them that without telling them what it means to actually be godly or wicked? And we wouldn't be the first person ever in human history to have warrior spirit if we had it. I mean, you look back all over history and there are so many examples. You just invented it. How could history be full of it? Of people. I think about Walt Disney. That was, was Walt Disney a Christian? Was he considered one of the godly? Fired by one of his first jobs because he didn't have enough cr- uh, creativity. His boss said, you, you're just not creative enough, so let go of him. Then he got this dream and vision uh, for Disneyland. He went to Anaheim, told them about the vision. They said, no, we're not going to allow you to have that in Anaheim. Was that a prophetic vision from God? Because there'll be too much riffraff, too many riffraff type people at Disneyland if you get it passed. How many of you are riffraff? You've been to Disneyland a few times. He was bankrupt multiple times. There's so many examples. Martin Luther King Jr. at one of his first rallies up in Albany, New York, was run out of town. And he, he was persecuted. He was thrown into jail because he was trying to do this rally for civil rights later goes on to be one of the greatest proponents of civil rights in American history. I think about Steve Jobs that got fired by Apple, later came back, creating one of the greatest companies in modern history. Um, Steve Jobs, was he bearing the fruit of repentance in his life when he founded Apple? Is that what that was about? I think about Michael Jordan, who got cut by his basketball team. when he was- Is Michael Jordan a penitent believer in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins? In high school, I think about Steph Curry, who got Steph Curry fans in this service here at North San Jose. I think about Steph Curry, who, who didn't get a scholarship in college for basketball. How about J.K. Rowling, who, who is the author of Harry Potter? Any Harry Potter fans? 
Um, she. So I need to have a warrior spirit like Michael Jordan, Steve Jobs, J.K. Rowling. Got it. Twelve times got turned down as she went back and forth to publishers. Finally, like one small London house publishing company took it. And all these 11 companies were regretting it afterwards because they didn't take that. It's amazing how many people in human history have had that tenacity to get knocked down and get up again and knocked down and get up again. And I think we could all agree that the path to greatness is paved with passion and perseverance. And greatness, is that the goal of Christian sanctification? Greatness? The path to anything great in life is paved with the willingness to persevere. And greatness shows up in all different forms and facets. Greatness shows up in the classroom with the teacher who's investing in in teenage boys and girls and trying to help shape their identity and give them a vision for their life. Greatness shows up around the breakfast table as moms and dads are pouring into the lives of next generation children as they're growing up. Greatness shows up in in tech companies and construction companies. And I think we could all agree that we aspire to that greatness, but sometimes we're choosing a path of mediocrity and the path that we're on. So are the people who are experiencing greatness, even if they're pagans, more Christ-like than Christians who are experiencing mediocrity? It's not matching up with the desire that we have. God wants today to infuse that willingness to walk through difficulty to get to the destination that he wants for you. He wants that war. What's the destination? Eternal life in the new earth or being a, a, a great, successful, famous CEO? spirit inside of us as individuals and he wants that warrior spirit inside of us as a church that's why how do you know god wants a warrior spirit inside the people at your church where in scripture does it say that it's one of our values for our leaders here that we have warrior spirit we get knocked down and we get up again We don't take no for an answer. We know it's going to be hard, but we have a passion that calls us forward, that even when it's difficult, we keep pushing and pushing and pushing, believing the best of what God wants to do is in front of us. How many of you want that warrior spirit in your life today? You want it in your marriage. You want it in your school. You want it in your company. I want to talk today about how do you get it? Yeah. How how does one go about getting one of these warrior spirits? Since you're the one who made it up, I'm sure you'll come up with how we get one. Get warrior spirit in the core of who you are, in the character of who you are. We're going to look today in Acts chapter 14. Turn, if you have a Bible there. We have some- All right, Acts 14. So apparently the, the warrior spirit is, uh, is revealed in Acts 14. Can't wait to see it, but uh, I made sure I got over there, you know, on my... Uh, online Bible, so I'm ready to roll. Fun looking at the Apostle Paul together. I think if anybody typified warrior spirit, it was the Apostle Paul. How come he never talked about his warrior spirit? Maybe Jesus a little bit more than him, but other than him, um, the Apostle Paul just had it. And uh, part of the reason... He had it, but never knew it. You know, who knew? Why, you, you see, all throughout his life, he encountered a tremendous amount of difficulty. But his, his journey started very different than a lot of the other apostles. The other apostles, they started out with Jesus. Paul, not so. He actually started off murdering some of the early apostles. 
And he was so convinced that Jesus was crazy, that he was not the Messiah, and all of his followers were crazy as well. So Paul, who was a Jewish man, was going from synagogue to synagogue to get the list of Christians in the towns who were followers of Jesus. This is just a few years after Jesus is resurrected. And as he's going through the towns, he's going into one town, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, shows up and grabs a hold of Paul's heart and convinces Paul, shows Paul that he is the Messiah. And Paul is radically transformed in one moment. One encounter with the presence of God is enough to change you. And he encounters the presence of God, goes from one day murdering five... Well, actually, his encounter with the presence of Christ blinded him. Yeah, he didn't become a Christian until uh, Ananias came and preached the gospel to him and then baptized him. Just saying. Jesus, the next day, he's on a mission to get this good news to as many people as possible. Could you imagine being one of those early followers of Jesus when Paul shows up and he's like, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. They're like, no, you're here to kill me. That's why you're here. So initially, Paul was kind of rejected by the early followers of Jesus, but then he got some momentum and he goes out on a missionary journey and he's going from town to town to town to town, starting churches. On his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14. He's just been run out of the last two towns. So it's starting to get a little bit dicey for him. They don't like him. The Jews were frustrated because he's communicating this message that Jesus was the Messiah. That's not what they wanted in the Messiah. But Paul is persistent. Gets run out of one town, goes to the next. Run out of one town, keeps just moving, moving, moving. Finally, he gets to Lystra. That's a cool name, right? I mean, you guys like that name, Lystra. Name your kids, Lystra. I do think it is pronounced Lystra, but, you know, I've heard it both ways. But I do think it is actually pronounced Lystra. What's your name? Lystra. Not just, not Lys, Lystra. It's a cool name. So Paul shows up in Lystra, and when he gets there, um, it's going really well for him. So he and Barnabas, his buddy, Barney we'll call him, Barney is with Paul, And they're just telling people about Jesus and good things are happening. There's this one guy from Lystra. Why aren't you reading the text? I mean, this is supposed to be a sermon. Are are you busy? You know, um, maybe you should clear your calendar when you're preaching so you can work the word of God into the text in context. Why don't you just read it out? who had been crippled from birth. So Paul and Barnabas, they heal this guy, and he starts walking. Actually, Christ heals him. And the crowds are all there, and they're like watching it all happen. So imagine this guy, at this point, most of the people from the town know that he hasn't walked from birth. So here, this guy was called you know, Joe. Joe. Joe starts walking, and Paul and Barnabas are there, and everybody freaks out. They're like, O-M-G. This is unbelievable. It's Zeus. Zeus is here. In fact, it's Zeus and Hermes. Now, if you know anything about the Greek gods, that, that, that was their Greek gods. Zeus and Hermes were some of the like, top gods for them. And they're like, the gods have come down. They're here. They've shown up in the flesh. Zeus and Hermes is Paul and Barnabas. But no, 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 actually it's Zeus and Hermes. So they walk up to, to, to Paul and Barnabas and they are just like unbelievably stricken by these guys thinking that they're gods. So they got these crowns. They built these crowns, and they're going to crown Paul and Barnabas. And then they all got knives. They're about to sacrifice. You just imagine. Again, why didn't you just read the account? It's much more interesting from the Bible itself. 
All these cows just walking in. They've got the knives. They're about to sacrifice the cows to worship Paul and Barnabas and put the wreaths on them. Now, that's kind of interesting to think about. Like if you're Paul and Barnabas, what do you do at this point? Like all the, the killing cows and giving you crowns and you're, you're a god. The, you're one of the Greek gods. What would you do at that moment? You're like, yeah, I am a god. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Like if these people show up. And they're wanting to worship you. It's interesting, too, to think about worship as a subject. Sometimes we oftentimes think that worship is just singing songs at church on a Sunday. But really, what you worship is what you crown and what you're willing to sacrifice for. So if you want to know what you worship, look at your checkbook. You want to know what you worship, look at your calendar and your time and your energy, what you're investing in. So these people, they want to crown Paul and sacrifice for him. I want us to see in Acts chapter 14, verse 15, how Paul responds to this adoration and worship. When people adore you or want to worship you, how do you respond? Verse 15. I don't know. It's never happened to me, but maybe it's just me. Paul looks and he says, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings. See, Paul knows like a few years ago, I was murdering people who followed Jesus Paul knows his own brokenness and his own issues, and he is like totally thrown off by this. I am, I am not Zeus. I, I am not a Greek god. Stop worshiping me. It says, just like you, we are humans. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God. He's saying we have deeply been impacted by the good news, the gospel, the grace of Jesus, that he died on a cross for our sins. Tell me more about that. I mean, you know, this is, this is interesting. Tell me about that Jesus dying for our sins part. Conquered the grave. Our lives have been changed. That's why we're here, not because we're gods. I want us to see from this passage of scripture that some of us, we still think that the story's about us, that it all revolves. Yeah, weird, because you've been preaching about you the whole time in your warrior spirit doctrine thingy that you invented around us but the less it's about you the less it's about me the more god will use our lives to make a difference here on planet earth uh-huh. that's why i love when we sing that. <laughs> he just makes stuff up doesn't he song about jesus what a beautiful name it is what a powerful name it is you got no rival you have no equal Yours is the name above every name. The angels worship you. The angels adore you. So it's, it's, it's comparing me to you is like comparing me to LeBron James or comparing. Well, that's a bad one. But comparing me to like um, um, comparing me to Kevin Durant or, you know, Steph Curry. It's like it's, it's so far. It's, it's further than that. And Jesus, Jesus is so far removed from our reality. Paul is saying, don't even put me from a comparison standpoint, from quality standpoint. He's God. I am not. Get me off the pedestal. I don't feel really, I don't feel good about this. I, I, sometimes God will use things in your life to humble you. Anybody else? Yeah. So um, I was in the bathroom after preaching a couple weeks ago. You, you really want to tell that story? Okay. There's this guy there. He's, he's a young man in like his 60s or so. And he comes, he's like, you know, you're not as good as they think you are. I'm like, you're right. You're right. Thank you, sir. I'm not sure if you're from Satan or God, but I'll receive it. I'll receive it. I'm not sure if that was after the tenacious teachability message, but sometimes, 
God will use things in your life to kind of remind you it's not all about you. The less it's about you, the more God will use you. When pride walks onto the stage, God walks off. So we want to create that dependency. We need God. And Paul says, hey, it's about him. Well, verse 18, it says, um, but even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. They're going crazy. They're worshiping. They're head over heels for Paul and Barney. And then in verse 19, it says, then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium. These are the two towns that Paul and Barnabas were just run out of for their faith in Jesus. And they won the crowds to the other side and they started to stone Paul. So here goes one moment. They've got the knives in hand about to kill the cows. The Jews come in from Antioch and Iconium and tell all these people that Paul and Barnabas are crazy. So they put down their knives They pick up a stone and the same crowd that was about to adore them and worship are now about to sacrifice and try to kill them. It's just ironic how fickle a crowd can be. It's amazing how easy our opinions are swayed. This is is part of the problem with media is that you can you can think one thing and read a false report and immediately you're like totally, you know, that was wrong. I, I can't believe I believe that just so easily back And forth, back and forth. So they want to worship. Now they want to kill. So they pick up their stones and they just start chucking them at Paul. One by one by one. I want us to notice Paul was not worried about this. Paul was not afraid of this. If he was afraid of this, he would have closed up shop after one time being run out of town. But Paul had something deep within him. He had a passion to get the message of Jesus to every person on the planet. Why are you preaching about him? Why aren't you preaching about Christ? You know, because you're now imposing this doctrine that you made up, the warrior spirit. You, you've gone and hunted. And look, Paul had it, you know, and he didn't even, he never talked about it. That's weird. He was going to give everything he had his entire life to get it to as many people as possible. And it didn't matter if he died in the process. He was so convinced that Jesus had come, died on a cross, and resurrected that his life didn't matter to him anymore. Yeah, that's why he constantly preached Christ and him crucified and resurrected. Yeah, Paul was obsessed with preaching Jesus. I wish you had that same passion there, um, Andy, but apparently not. And when you get to this place where you're not afraid of losing your life, that's when you truly start living for Jesus. Some of us have been scared into silence. You've been changed by Jesus, but nobody around you knows. That's why baptism is so important. Because when you go down into the water, it represents an old way of life that passes away. When you come out, it represents the new life that you have in Jesus. And it's you declaring to the world that you've been changed by the grace and the mercy of God. No biblical text says that about baptism. That's a man-made a uh, weird way of talking about baptism. God wants to give you a dose of boldness today. He wants to infuse inside of you like Paul and Barnabas, that when we get to this place, when we see and understand eternity, there's a boldness that rises up inside of us to get back up when we get knocked down and not to be so worried about this life. Some of us are afraid to walk down the hall to share about Jesus with somebody because what they might think of us 
when there are people in Somalia who are followers of Jesus or the Middle East who are having their heads lopped off for their faith. God wants inside of us that kind of boldness that understands that this life is not all there is. Yeah, that kind of boldness is um, created by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word and the placarding of Christ. The more confidence you are, confident you are of God's mercy, forgiveness, and grace for you, yeah, that has a tendency to you know go along, you know, create boldness and confidence to tell others about that mercy, grace, and forgiveness in Christ. Why aren't you placarding that rather than the results that the gospel actually <clears throat> produces? Some of us are so temporal in our perspective that we've lost our way when it comes to faith. God wants to give you that willingness to persevere based upon your belief that this life is not all that there is. I'm not sure why it's so quiet at North San Jose. Yeah, why don't you just why don't you actually preach from the scripture that you know the hope that we have of eternal life and that this life is fleeting, passing away. It's like a breath, a mist, uh, like the grass. It's here today, burned up tomorrow. Why don't you, t- you actually let the Bible do its work? God's word is living and active. Day today, maybe I'm just hitting a little bit of a nerve. Somebody said, the only dog that barks when you throw a rock into the pile is the dog that gets hit. And so if it hits here, it might be because it's something that you need to hear. It might be because there's, there's some level of fear that has held you captive that has rendered your life ineffective. When you push past that fear, that's where the threshold of God using you is. Bold faith requires that willingness to step out. And not, everybody, not everybody's going to like it when they know that you're a follower of Jesus. Notice all the, you got to, 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 you got to. And... You've like hijacked the story from Acts 14 in order to make it about the warrior spirit thingy. Yes. But in our culture, it's getting more and more and more hard to talk about the difference that God has made in your life. You have a story if you've been changed by God's grace. You have the greatest news on the face of the planet that's ever been shared. And somebody's future, eternal destiny rests on your boldness of faith in Jesus. My four-year-old daughter was in the bathroom last night, and she was crying. Preach Jesus then. It'll create boldness in him. Preach all about him. Constantly talk about him and placard all the great things that he has done for us and does for us. Because we have friends who don't know Jesus. It was, it was moving me. And she was saying, but what if they don't know about Jesus? What if they don't hear? What's going to happen to them? I I was listening from the other room as my wife was trying to say, they'll spend eternity apart from Jesus. So she's like, well, we got to tell them. We got to do whatever we can. If a four-year-old can get it, a 40-year-old can get it. Can I get a good amen? So So Paul's getting stoned and he's there and he's underneath this pile of rocks. And he's buried beneath the weight of, pers- of persecution, of the physical reality, and he's got to make a decision. Is he going to get up? Is he going to lay there or is he going to get up? And I think there's some of you who are buried beneath some stuff today. Buried beneath. What? You're buried beneath some stuff. Why are you allegorizing the pile of rocks that Paul's body was under after being stoned? I'm sure he was bleeding too. 
some regret, some shame, some, some anxiety, some worry. You're buried today beneath some things. And I want us to notice how Paul stays down until verse 20. It says, but as the believers gathered around Paul, thinking he was dead, he got up and went back. Where'd he go back into the same town that he just got run out of? If this were a movie and they were casting it, The Rock would be the character right here. It's like, just back into the same town. Stone me, here I come again. What was it that enabled Paul to stand up? What was it that helped him not stay down when he was... Faith in Christ. Buried beneath some stuff. I want us to notice, first thing, that the thing that enabled Paul and empowered Paul to get back up was the group of people that surrounded him. What? It wasn't until the believers came and stood around him, his support system. And I just imagine one by one by one pulling these rocks off of Paul. You can do it. Come on, Paul. There's more in you. He, he was. Yeah, they, they, they were telling him like, you know, like Rocky's, you know, coach in this corner. Come on, Rock. You can do it, man. No, they weren't. You're inserting that into the text. Back up. Don't stay down. Come on. I wonder if your friends were to watch you get stoned and buried beneath a pile, what they would do. Come on. Call an ambulance. Got to get this on our Insta feed. Come on. No no one's going to take photos and throw it up on Facebook or Instagram. They're calling 911 and they're checking to see if I have a pulse. What are you talking about? Buddy, Facebook live this. I mean, this, we will get a thousand likes instantaneously from right to here. This is, let's stream it. Come on. Anybody out there watching? Let's watch as Johnny's down. The stones are on him. What's going to happen? His face is blue. Oh my God. OMG. It's unbelievable. I just uh, imagine thinking about the people in our lives. What would they do? If we were buried right here in this instance, some of us have some friends that would mock us. Some of us have people in our lives that are mocking us when we're down. The first point I want to make today is that you got to get the right tribe around you. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to have a warrior spirit, you need, you, you need to have a warrior spirit from the correct tribe. <laughs> I just... <laughs> How can you be this awful and be a megachurch pastor? I don't get it. Your tribe will dictate and determine whether or not you will stay down or get back up. The people who surround you, their words will either keep you down or help you up. I heard somebody say one time that your friends, you should put them into categories. There are some friends who are three-minute friends, some friends who are three-hour friends, and some friends who are three-day friends. That means that that's all the time you should give them. And some of us got some three-minute friends, and we're spending three days with them. And we're wondering why we're so discouraged and frustrated. It's because we got them in the wrong bucket. So some friends need to be fired. Maybe that's all you get today. We're done. Hasta la huega, baby. I'm breaking up with you. Jesus loves you, but we're done. We're finished. I wonder who those people are today that are in your tribe, that are speaking into your life, that are encouraging you or discouraging you. And your ability to get back up will be dictated by that group of people around you. That's why we do echo groups here. We we don't just do echo groups so we can fill another night of your week. You are already in Silicon Valley so busy. I remember one time having a realization of how important groups are. 
because I got invited to two funerals or two memorial services within just a few months of each other. And I remember being at one of them and I sat in the service and it was this young mom who had passed away. And many of you probably have heard her story. Jen Garcia, she, she was about my age when she passed away. It was such a horrendous, horrendous moment just to watch it all unfold. And her beautiful daughters and her husband are still a part of our church. And I remember sitting in the service where we were celebrating her life and there wasn't enough room. And we had pictures of her story after story after story of her influence. I mean, the, the lobby at our North San Jose campus was just overflowing because of her investment. And she was in group after group after group. She served on our dream team. And it was all that investment that bore the fruit that in her time of need, in her family's time of need, there was a group of people that were there. Her tribe was with her. And I remember another time where I walked into a memorial service of a family from our church who had lost a loved one. And there were like eight people in the room. And I said, who's your group? And they said, oh, we're not in an echo group. In fact, we never got into a group. We thought about it. Um, we almost did, but we, we just didn't get into community. This, this is not just stuff we do. This is because deeply inside of every single human being is a need for community. And that support system around you is what will help you through divorce. It will help you when you lose a child. It will help you when you walk through depression. We're here for you, but we can only help you to the degree that you engage. So if you're not on a, on a team or in a group, there's nobody to lock arms with you. And you're going to walk through those times all alone. We'll reach out. We'll love you. But you need to invest now so that when war comes, there are people who are surrounding you. You've got to fix the tribe around you. Today, you can do that by signing up for an echo group and get some people in your life who will stand with you. Anybody? Right. I mean, Paul clearly, you know, before heading off to Iconium, worked you know he had figured his tribe out and he was in an echo group too yeah agree with this that you need to get the right tribe around you that's how you bounce back from difficulty so paul gets some people around note uh one person that later would go with paul on his missionary journeys um was from the town of lystra young teenage boy by the name of Timothy. In fact, on a second missionary journey, Paul would go back to Lystra first stop and he would pick up Timothy, who would later go on to be the one that Paul would write the letter first Timothy to. My belief is that Timothy was one of those small people who was pulling rocks off of Paul. He said, if you'll pull rocks off me when I'm about to die, I'll take him on the next missionary journey with me. That's the- yeah, that you're inserting stuff into the text. That, that's called eisegesis. No text says that kind of people you need some timothys around you that will stand with you in the trenches of life but it's not just that because paul continues and he he goes in verse 20 um it says that as the believers gathered around he went back the next day with barnabas to derby not the kentucky derby but derby the town and um, after preaching the good news in derby and making many disciples paul and barnabas returned to lystra iconium and antioch now y'all these are the three towns that he was just run out of and it's just unbelievable his tenacity his his capacity to persevere why did he persevere well the next town it says that he went on through these towns strengthening the believers they encouraged them to continue in the faith 
It's like if I'm down and I just about lost my life, I want somebody to encourage me. Paul, on the other hand, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm here to encourage you. I'm back to the towns not so you can tell me to persevere. I'm here to tell you to persevere. In fact, he says, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. Notice that phrase. We must suffer many hardships. We must suffer many hardships. What Paul is saying is you got to expect resistance. That's point number two. That when you come to the place where you understand that it's going to be hard. And so many of us, our whole lives, we are chasing easy. And we do a lot of things to chase easy. We'll take pills to chase easy. We'll, we'll look for that workout program that can get us in shape in you know, five days. We're, we're looking for easy in our marriages. We're looking for easy in our careers. But how many of you know that the path to greatness in any endeavor is paved with passion and perseverance? It's not- Again, is greatness the goal of Christian sanctification? Not paved with easy mediocrity that's paved with easy so if you want mediocre take the easy path but paul is saying if you are going to press forward in the kingdom of god there is going to be difficulty and resistance and sometimes we define difficulty and resistance as though we're not doing the will of god it's like you know you go to the mall you get the front spot right in front of of BJ's at Oak Ridge Mall. And you're like, it must be God's will for me to have a bazooki today. It's just, it's the stars are aligning spots here. But from my experience, oftentimes one of the greatest indicators that it is God's will is resistance. Yeah, sometimes you, you receive resistance because you are being persecuted for your faith. Sometimes you experience resistance because the decisions you're making are really bad. Mm-hmm. Don't confuse the latter with the former or the former with the latter. Because there is an enemy who stands against the kingdom of God. We're going to do a series this summer called Invisible War because there is an invisible battle being waged around us. You have an enemy that hates you and he wants nothing more than to take you out from the kingdom of God, wants nothing more than to render your life ineffective and useless. And if he can get you to believe that resistance means you're not doing the right thing, then he'll take you out and then you'll be rendered ineffective and useless. But Paul says, you got to believe and understand that if you're going to pursue the kingdom of God, it will be hard and difficult for you in the future. I remember one time in 2014, I was um, going through a really difficult time. Never have I been closer to resigning from my job than in 2014? And um, part of the reason why was because our church grew really fast, really quickly on the front end. We had a lot of staff that they were awesome and we had to make some transitions. They were good for one season. We needed a new team. So we had to make those transitions, like half of our staff, you know, we had a transition and then the other half saw it all. And they're like, well, we'll quit too. If you're, you know, letting those guys go, we're gone. So like they were, we were having staff meeting in a phone booth. It was cool. And so here I was like, man, our, our board needs to find somebody else to do this job. Like I'm, I, I think it should be Steve Jobs thing. Just fire me. I'm done. Find somebody else to take this thing in the future. And I remember sitting down at my desk one day coming into my office and there was a little sticky tab that my wife had written. And she said, troubles are not reasons to quit. They are challenges to overcome. It's just right there on my desk. 
And that one little sticky tab, I carried it all around. My office got moved. I put it in the drawer. I just kept pulling it back out and back out because I need to be reminded that difficulty, the obstacles that are in front of me are opportunities for God to do great things. Some of you are in a place right now where it is hard and you want to quit. You want to quit on your marriage. You want to quit on your schooling. You want to quit on your company. You want to quit on a dream or a vision that God deposited into your heart. And God sent me here today to tell you that that obstacle that is... God deposits dreams or visions in my heart. Uh, Do you have a biblical text that says that? In front of you, with his power inside of you, could become the greatest part of your story. There's a reason why we don't turn movies off halfway through. I fall asleep through a lot of them, but... Um, especially chick flicks, but the point I'm trying to make is that it's that tension in a movie that the character pushes through. That is the end of the story. It's the narrative that we all want for our lives. But so many of us hit that resistance and we stop halfway through when the greatest part of our story is in front of us. And God is saying to you today, that obstacle, I want you to reframe it as an opportunity. I want you to see that that resistance is a part of my development for you. Nobody goes into the gym and complains. Well, some people do, but they shouldn't complain about that resistance. You know that resistance is a part of your muscle getting stronger. The resistance in your faith is a part of your character being developed. If you want greatness in your character, you've got to walk through some difficulty. Paul is saying through many... Yeah, this is a pep talk. ...hardships you will enter into the kingdom of... Of God, but he doesn't stop there. Now, watch what happens as they finish. All right, yeah, I, you know, I, I thought he would get to this passage, but again, he didn't begin in a biblical text. He's twisted every text he's touched, and now he's shoehorning this biblical text into the doctrine that he invented the doctrine of the warrior spirit. It says, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in, in every church with prayer and fasting, it says that they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia, Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga and went down to Italia. What does this say about Paul? It says that Paul was not done. He was not finished. And he had a vision. Yeah, he was still breathing. He was sent by Christ as an apostle. That was big enough to call his life forward even when he felt like giving up. Today, he never said anywhere in that text that he felt like giving up. God wants you to get a vision. Paul writes in other places for him to live as Christ and to die as gain. Uh huh. He would prefer to stay in the body and continue to preach Christ. This is how he talked. Point number three God wants you to get a vision that requires your return. Uh, no, no, no. So God wants you to get a vision. God gave the Apostle Paul a commissioning as an apostle. Mm hmm. Why do I need to go and get a vision? It's that vision when you're knocked down of what is in front of you that gives you the strength to get back up. And if there are countless people throughout human history that can get back up when they're knocked down, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, where the scripture says that the same power of God and the same spirit of God that brought Jesus' physical body back from death to life is the power that lives inside of you. There is power for you to return. And God wants to, to put in your heart today. A- you mean like dunamis power? Yeah, again, you're twisting scripture here kind of in a way that's similar to Katie Sousa. Picture of what stands in front of you. 
and the reason why you got to get back up today. And the question that drives this for me is the question, what's the consequence of, of me staying down? What's the consequence of you not getting back up? What's the consequence of you not getting back into the ring to fight for the hearts of your children? What's the consequence of you not fighting for the culture of your place at work? What's the consequence of you just giving up on your marriage and just saying, you know, it's really hard. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. What's the consequence for those of you who are students right now that you're like, man, I just want to give up. I know I've failed a bunch of tests. I didn't get into that school, so I'm just going to quit. What's the consequence of you giving back up? It's a life of mediocrity. That's the consequence. It's your life being rendered useless. It's God not, God not bringing you into the fullness of what he wants to do through your life. And he's saying to you today, it's time for you to get a vision that's big enough for you to get back up for now yeah where in scripture am i told to get a vision you keep saying god is telling me that he wants me to do this why is it up to me to get a vision which text says i need to do this again i understand not everybody's a vision sappy music this is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that god the holy spirit is now descending on the audience as they are choosing to make decisions of one kind or another, but scripture doesn't teach this manipulation technique either. You know, there's some of us that's like, man, vision's like a, it's a cuss word. I don't like that word. It's like leadership. So here's what I want to say. Just borrow our vision. Just come on. Yeah, if you don't have a vision of your own, you know, you just borrow one. So he's telling you, God wants you to get one. So you don't know where to go to find one. Just borrow one from Echo Church. Alongside of us. In fact, I think that God's given us a big enough vision that we could all give ourselves to it for the rest of our lives. We have a vision that God would echo his love all over the Bay Area. Hence the name Echo Church. Wouldn't be one person in the Bay Area that when God starts to work in their heart, there's not a local church that comes to their mind. That when, when there are people who are heading towards eternity apart from Jesus, there's another follower of Jesus that has lived out love in front of them so that they can say, oh, I, I remember that guy at work and there was something different. There was joy inside of him. I remember the way he loved his family and, and I need that. I got to get to that. Our vision is to see this entire region transform with the love of Jesus so that the... That would require you to ac- accurately preach the love of Christ. Millions of people spread across the Bay Area within five to ten minutes there's a church there's a campus there's a life-giving place that they can go to where they can hear about the love of jesus and their life can be transformed for all of eternity so you can borrow that vision and just borrow theirs yeah visions are borrowable apparently in us in in getting this message maybe i want to shop around and figure out you know which vision i would like to borrow since i don't know where to get one of jesus so that people all around us can hear and experience what we have so you can do that by being a part of an echo group you can do that by being a part of the dream team serving here using your gifts to join and lock arms with us to make it hard to go to hell in the bay area people say the bay area is known for resistance for the message of jesus how many of you yeah like churches like yours seem to not preach it very well I just want to make this a place where it's known for a movement of God. That people know, man, something's happening in the Bay Area. See, God is calling us to have a... Yeah, this sounds very self-absorbed. ...vision that we get back up for and say, I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to get back into the ring to believe the best of what God wants to do is in front of me. And you know what's funny to me as I was reading this passage this week? I I was thinking about my birthday. So this week's my birthday. 
I turned 37 years old. I'm not sure for some of you that's young, some of you that's old. I'm right between. This is the first birthday in my life where I was like, I'm not excited about this. I really am not. I'm excited. I'm going away for my birthday with my wife, but that's not a birthday thing. I'm just excited to be with her. 37. I don't know. I mean, three is the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Seven's a holy number. That's cool. You know, three plus seven, 10. I'm sure there's some numerology there. That's cool. But, but like I look in the mirror and I'm, I'm more white. I'm getting more white. I'm getting a little bit older. And I was reading this passage of scripture and I just, I wanted to figure out how old Paul was in this passage. So I did some digging, got into some commentaries. I realized Paul, they believe he was about 40 years old, maybe a couple years younger. And I started realizing all that was in front of Paul. I mean, if he hadn't gotten up, there'd, there'd be no Galatians, no Ephesians, no Philippians, no Colossians, no First and Second Timothy. No, Right. He had a warrior spirit. The Bible doesn't say that, but man, clearly this, this was warrior spirit in action. In Second Thessalonians, no of the gospel getting to Rome through him, none of his stuff that he took back to Jerusalem, no second missionary journey. There would be no Apostle Paul if he had stayed down right there. The best of what God wants to do is in front of you. And today he's calling you to stand up. So here's what we're going to do. As we wrap up our time together, I want to pray for you. And then the one next step that I have for you today is I want to encourage you to sign up for an echo group. We believe so strongly in this that we're going to take 90 seconds right now in the middle of our services to let you sign up for an echo group. We believe that this one decision could change the trajectory of your journey spiritually. So you got a little program when you walked in that has some groups. In just a moment, we're going to put a card on the screen. You can sign up online. You can sign up on your card. And in just a few minutes, when we pass the buckets, you can turn those in. If you're joining us online, you can go to echo.church slash groups. And today we're going to take that step to get into community. Let's get a tribe that will help us get up today. Father, thank you. Done. Total train wreck. Mm -hmm. Man-made doctrine, text shoehorned into that doctrine. He didn't exegete the text properly at all. And boy, we sure did hear a lot about Echo Church. But um, as far as the details of Christ and the things he taught and did, you know, he talks about, you know, we need to be centered on Jesus, and then he doesn't preach him. Yeah, that's weird. The Apostle Paul, he chose to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified for our sins. Echo Church, yeah, they chose to know nothing except for Echo Church. And the warrior spirit thingy that that um, Andy Wood apparently discovered for us, it, you know, Paul failed to mention that he had that and that we needed to cultivate that. And Paul also failed to tell us that we needed to get a vision and also failed to tell us that we could borrow a vision from somebody else if we can't find one for ourselves. Yeah, who knew? So this is just nonsense. How is this Christian preaching? How is this biblical? This is off-topic, off-track, and this is actually deceiving people and taking them away from Christ not leading them to him. Very sad indeed. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.